want to make one very brief comment about our reading from John's Gospel today, as opposed to dwelling in it. Uh, John's Gospel shows uh, Philip asking Jesus a question, show us the Father, that's what he says. The way that I read that, the way that I understand that is that Philip wants Jesus uh, for clarity. He wants, to, wants Jesus to give him some certainty about faith. He wants him to tell him, you know, tell us what to believe, tell us how to act, tell us what to think, give us a direct, some directions about how to live our lives, and we will be okay. And then Jesus has this very convoluted response, which was that long reading from John's Gospel, basically saying, I can't give you any certainty. When it comes to faith, certainty is an illusion. One of my friends, uh, Jim Bradley, uh, from when I was up in the Diocese of Newark, called the Episcopal Church a church of blessed ambiguity. And I always liked that expression, a church of blessed ambiguity. And when we gather for our new member classes here at St. John's Church, I tell all of them, let me tell you something, when you gather up here, the Episcopal Church is a messy, messy denomination. We are a messy, messy denomination. And it's a messy denomination because life is messy. Life is messy, and because of that, the gospel, as we understand it for ourselves and for our society, is a very messy thing. Certainty, when it comes to faith, is an illusion. But let's move on to Pentecost. Today is Pentecost. We like to think of it as the birthday of the church. Why? Uh, because at the end of this uh, reading today, at the end of the reading today, 3,000 people are baptized. Just to review it. The disciples are now 12. Remember, in the first chapter of, our, of the book of Acts, Matthias has been chosen to fulfill the 12. So there are 12 disciples, but they are scared disciples. They are scared because, remember, the ascension took place 10 days ago, and they're by themselves. They don't have Jesus showing up to show them the way, and the Holy Spirit hasn't descended on them yet. So they are scared, and they do what all of us do who are scared, We'd like to gather with people who are just alike like us, and we gather in some place, uh, in today's language we call them echo chambers, and we gather there with those people and we just remind ourselves and sort of uh, confirm our own suspicions about reality. And you can imagine these scared disciples, all 12 of them, gathered together to confirm their suspicions about what their life has been. And then something very terrific happens, and part of what happens is this whole celebration of Pentecost, there's a strong wind, kind of like what we're experiencing today, a very strong wind that comes uh, last night. You know, I left the window to a bedroom open, and I had to get up in the middle of the night to turn it off because I had to shut the windows off because I thought everything was going to blow around in that room. And that's the way they must have felt, this very, very powerful wind that's blowing through. And that powerful wind excites them, and then there's flames that come through that same window, and those flames come and they light on top of them like a little flame hanging on top of their head, which is the way that many people have uh, caught it in the famous paintings about Pentecost. There's a little flame that lands on top of their head, and it empowers them. And, you know, before, before when they were afraid, they were too sick to heal. They were too confused to teach. They were too weak to lead, and they were too scared to proclaim or to prophesy. They are back in that room, but all of a sudden they feel the power of the Spirit that descends upon them, and when they feel it, they rush out into the streets, and they rush out into the streets because they are empowered. They are set on fire. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, but at the very end of the movie, the Ra you've seen the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark? Thank you. I was going to ask if you had seen it, because... The 745 service, you know, they're here for the Lord's breakfast, not for the Lord's supper. So they don't respond to anything. 
And at, uh, at 9 o'clock, uh, the baptism, you know, that has a life of its own. But anyway, glad that you've uh, seen the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark. And at the very end of The Raiders of the Lost Ark, the, uh, the, there's a flame that comes through that consumes everybody and kills everybody except for only two individuals who are saved at the very end. Well, the fire that descends on these disciples is unlike that. This one cleanses them. And it empowers them. And they are on fire. Like, like Stephen Curry at the end of a game with the Golden State Warrior. The man gets on fire and you can't stop him. And sure enough, they're cast out of that room. They go into the crowd. They start talking. Everybody understands what they're saying. Even though the whole place is gathered with people from all over that part of the world who have come to celebrate the Jewish, uh, the, the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. There are people from all over the world that are gathered. And they speak and they understand each other, which they haven't been able to do before. And then Peter preaches a very long sermon. If you go read the rest of chapter 2, preaches a very long sermon. At the very end of it, people are so excited that 3,000 people are baptized. And so we say that this is the birthday of the church. There are a few things, uh, you know, that, that happened a couple of thousand years ago. It's a historical event, at least from the perspective of the faithful people. That's how we understand it. But I also want to tell you that Pentecost is for you and for me. It's not something about the past, although it occurred in the past. Pentecost is for you and for me. A few years ago, my wife Lou and I had the opportunity to be in Madrid, and we went to the Prado, the museum, uh, that has a painting there by El Greco. And the painting by El Greco is entitled Pentecost. And right there in the painting, all the disciples are gathered there, and the image, the image of the Holy Spirit, which is that dove descending from the sky and fire, are all over that painting. And all the disciples, all the traditional disciples, are looking up towards that dove, and they're all looking towards that fire up there. And there's only one in this painting that's not looking up there. He's looking at you, the viewer. You, the person who is looking at this painting. And when you read the little booklet that they hand out, you realize that that is a self-portrait of El Greco. El Greco is looking to you, and he has that flame on top of his head. All 12 of them have flames on top of their heads. And they are looking at you, and he's the only one who's looking at you, and he has a wry smile on his face. And he's looking at you like saying, can you believe this? I'm part of Pentecost. Can you believe this? I'm part of this painting. Can you believe me, that historical event? I'm part of all of that. And he has that wry smile. And then you realize Pentecost is not about the past. Pentecost is for you and for me. And today we remember the event because all of us, every one of us, if you look closely enough, have fire sitting on top of our heads. Every one of us has a fire sitting on top of our heads. You know how I know that? Because you're here. Somewhere along the line, the Spirit has touched your life, and you've gathered here. You've gathered here to worship, and you've gathered here to proclaim, and you've gathered here because the Spirit has driven you to be here. Now, you may not see it every day. Every once in a while, that flame gets pretty obscured. I always joke around that, you know, when bishops become bishops, they give them that big hat. And I think that's like a snuffer. It snuffs out the flame of Pentecost. Not, not true for our bishop, Marianne. Don't go over to the cathedral and tell her that that's not the case. She's fine. 
but every once in a while I think, oh my God, why do they wear those hats? It's like a snuffer. At any rate, every one of us has that flame sitting on top of our heads. Every one of us. Now, two things that I think that affect us in the press, and one of them is that they all understand each other. Every language, every person from every part of the world begins to understand each other. I understand that to be, you know, that uh, uh, the, faith, the faith that we proclaim is good for everybody. And I think it's a constant reminder to all of us that we, each and every one of us has created as a unit of God's grace, that each and every one of us is unprecedented, irrepeatable, and irreplaceable, that each and every one of us is created by the very same creator, creator, redeemed by the very same Christ, and sanctified by the very same Holy Spirit. That there's nothing that can divide us. That's how God wills it to be. Human unity is not something that we create. God creates human unity. Our sin is always to rend asunder what God has created already. So I understand all these folks understanding each other to mean that that's our calling and our understanding of humanity. The other interesting part of this particular reading usually gets overlooked is that there are two groups of people here, the Medes and the Elamites, who have disappeared from the face of the earth by the time this takes place. Both groups, the Medes and the Elamites, do not exist anymore. And when I'm reading the book of Acts, I have to tell you, I think the gospel or Luke that writes the book of Acts has a great sense of humor. And he includes these for the listener, for the reader, and for you to ask yourself the question, why are these folks included in here? They don't exist anymore, the Medes and the Elamites. I like to think that he's included them in there not only to show a pluralistic people gathered to worship that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, but they are there. They are there to remind us that the gospel is about the past, the present, and the future. That it is about life and that it is about death. And that it includes everybody. During my ordained ministry, I have been blessed to have served in churches that have some history, at least when you're in the context of American history. When I was at St. Peter's Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, that church was founded in 1825. St. Paul's Church in Patterson, New Jersey, New Jersey was founded in 1857. Trinity Church in Wilmington, Delaware was founded in 1695. St. John's Church here in Washington is founded in 1815-16. Pick your year, it doesn't matter one or the other one of those two years. We can claim ourselves to be 200 years old. And what I love about these churches, why I love these churches is that anywhere that you look around, what you will see are memorials to the people who have been gathered here for 200 years doing the very same thing that we are doing this morning, proclaiming the gospel, being enlightened by the Holy Spirit, plaques all over the place, reminding each and every one of us that we didn't create this. We're part of a long line of very faithful people who have gathered here week in, week out for 200 years, doing the exact same thing, being empowered to the by, by the Holy Spirit to be the people of God. You know, red is the only time that, the Pentecost is the only time that we get to use red in the church. I'm not sure why we don't use it more frequently, but that's it. And I love using the red because it's uh, the, 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 the stoles and the, uh, the cover for the, forget, what's the name of that thing that we put on top of the Eucharist? Huh? Burst and veil, thank you. <laughs> the burst and veil are dedicated in memory of Margaret Park. 
one of my very favorite people who has ever been a part of the life of this church. And every time I wear this stole and every time I see that verse unveiled, I think of Margaret Park and I am reminded how much people have gathered here for 200 years, for 200 years, proclaiming the same gospel, being empowered by the very same Holy Spirit. It would be as if, uh, including the Medes and the Alamites, would be the same thing as if today, after leaving church today, you went home and you told some of your friends, you know, Pentecost Sunday, we really had a good Pentecost Sunday over at St. John's Church. Uh, we had visitors from Montana, we had visitors from California, we had visitors from Louisiana, and you know there, were, there was a uh, family of Assyrians who visited the church, and a very nice Hittite couple that signed the guest book. They don't exist anymore, in case you haven't kept up with history lately. It would be like that. According to Christ's vision, what we proclaim in the book of Acts is this, that we belong to one another, every one of us, all 7.1 billion of us gathered in this world. That is the way that God has made us. Christ died and was resurrected to keep us that way, and the Spirit comes along to keep us on track. Let me repeat myself. Human unity is not something we have to create. God created human unity. All we are asked to do is to respect it and honor it. And our sin is always, always to rent asunder what God has already created. It seems to me that the challenge of our day is to seek unity while we celebrate diversity. To unite the particular with the universal. To recognize the need for roots while insisting that the point of roots is to put forth branches. What I find intolerable about our own lives and our society is when we allow our differences to become idolatrous. The human rights of every individualist in, in this world is more important than the politics of identity in my book. And we religious people should always, always be boundary crossers. Let me tell you what is one of the great oxymorons of the English language. A holy racist. A holy xenophobe. A holy, you can go on down the line. We celebrate Pentecost to remind ourselves that that spirit has descended on us and that we are to let that light to shine as brightly as we can in this world so that other people may be drawn to it. All of us, all of us, when we have felt the power of the spirit, have been given a task, a mission. I can't tell for you what it is for you. I can tell you that God has something for you to do in a small way, in a big way, in a magnificent way, in a not so magnificent way. But God is inviting you to consider by the power of the Holy Spirit that you have a mission. And it's not to be done as part of a duty. It's not to be done because you have to do it but because you're empowered to the Holy Spirit to do what it is you're called because you want to do it. Just like our relationships with our loved ones. We don't do things for our spouses and our lovers. 
because we have to do it. We do it because we want to do it, because love drives us to do it. And you and I both know that the power of the Spirit descends on us, and that flame sitting on top of your head will continue to be there throughout now until the end of your days, inviting you to consider how you can be one of the disciples, how you can be one of the apostles, letting the light of Pentecost shining brightly in this world. Amen. Amen.